Well, as you know, August 29th is the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. And it's interesting that, again, as many have pointed out, that on the very same day we have a major storm uh, scheduled to make landfall here uh, in Louisiana again. Um, another thing that I think is interesting about this day is that God knew this long ago that we are actually scheduled to look at Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 23 and following, which happens to be the text this very morning about Jesus in the midst of a great storm. Uh, and so what a great timely message that God has given to us. In fact, uh, as we look at the passage this morning, I think really what we see is a couple of conversations that Jesus has, uh, one with his disciples, uh, one with the, the demons, and then also another one that he has with the townspeople. And so uh, my encouragement to you is this, is that this morning as we look at these conversations, realize that God wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to speak to you from his word uh, through what happens here in the life of Jesus. And so uh, look with me at Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 23 through 27 to start. And really what we're going to see in these verses uh, is two powerful conversations, uh, two conversations that demonstrate the power of Jesus in a really unique way. Um, and then a third one uh, that shows us something as well that challenges us. Uh, but Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 and following says this. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him. Now, there's a lot going on in these verses, um, but I don't want us to miss that very first verse. It says this, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Just a reminder, I think uh, this builds on what we talked about last week. To follow Jesus, you have to get into the boat with him. Join him in the boat. Uh, to see his power at work like we're going to see today, you have to join him in the journey. Uh, wherever he wants to take you in that journey. And so just that's a, a great reminder. Last week, we talked about the sacrifice involved in following him. And, and I think this week starts off with that same theme. To follow him, you have to get in the boat with him. Uh, and so that's where we see Jesus' disciples. And so um, what happens next in verse 24, though, is incredible. It says, Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. Um, so I'm recording this on Saturday, so I really don't have any idea what the storm is going to be like on Sunday. Uh, but I would say it's safe to say that the last place I'd want to be right now is in a small boat out in the Gulf of Mexico or even on Lake Pontchartrain. Um, because as, as is happening to these guys, their boat was being swamped. Um, the Sea of Galilee, where they were, uh, we know some things about that. It was a lake that was about... Uh, 13 miles long and eight miles wide. And uh, just for comparison's sake, uh, Lake Pontchartrain is roughly 40 miles wide and about 24 miles uh, long. Uh, so um, about a third the size of Lake Pontchartrain at the most. And so, uh, but what happened with this lake is it was surrounded by mountains. And so uh, wind would come whistle, come whipping through those um, hills and mountains and could, it could stir up a storm in a really short amount of time. We actually see that happening multiple times uh, in the Gospels. And so that's what's happening. Matthew calls it a, a great storm. And the word he uses for storm, great storm, actually is 
oftentimes the word that's used to translate a great earthquake. And so whatever was going on here, it was just absolutely tumultuous, absolutely terrifying. Um, and the disciples' boat was starting to sink, to take on water. So what happens next? Uh, look at what they say to Jesus. This is their side of the conversation, what they say to him. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. That's the request they make to him, just a simple request. And actually, um, it's acknowledging their hopeless condition unless he intervenes. Then Jesus' answer, his part of the conversation, verse 26. I love this. It's really a simple question. It says this. And then he said to them, why are you afraid? O oh, you of little faith. And you know, if any one of us was on the boat there, if we were out on a boat right now in the middle of the storm, and if Jesus would say to you, why are you afraid? You'd look around and say, Jesus, are you crazy? Don't you see the storm that's going on? Don't you see the boat starting to sink? So really, when Jesus asks a question like that, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He already knows the answer. And he's also making a statement with this question. He's saying, you don't need to be afraid. So many times in the life of Jesus, uh, from his birth on, remember when the angels showed up, what were the first words out of their mouth? Fear not. God tells us that message over and over and over again in scripture, because as humans, we struggle with fear, fear of failure, uh, fear of the weather. Uh, some of you I know uh, in our church uh, struggle with fear when storms like this come up. Uh, fear of all kinds. And Jesus asked the same question to you. If you're his child, why are you afraid? He says, don't you realize I'm in the boat with you? I'm right here with you. No matter what storm you're facing, I am right there with you. So he says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. That's really interesting because uh, earlier in the chapter, he talks about the faith of centurion, um, the, the man who came to ask him to heal his servant. Um, and he says he Jesus marvels at the great faith of that Roman officer. And here it's contrasted with the small faith, little faith of his own disciples. But he's saying you've forgotten. I am right here with you. I'm right here with you in the boat. Verse 26 then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So we had a great storm, and now we have a great calm. And what happens next? Verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? I think it's in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 5, the same account of this story, uh, where it says there was a great storm, a great calm, and then a great fear. Uh, the disciples were afraid uh, in some ways, saying, who in the world is in the boat with us? Uh, but it's really, I think more than that, Matthew tells us it's an expression of worship. They marveled, it says. They realized how amazing he is and what he has just done for them. What a great rescue. And if you think about it in scripture, this happens multiple times. Uh, when a great rescue happens, the people worship God because he delivered them. Think about when God took the Israelites out of Egypt. They worshiped him. Uh, think about when God delivered um, uh, kings from foreign armies. They would worship him. Read the Psalms. When God delivers, people worship. 
And so in this story, we see the disciples finally recognizing who Jesus is. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Only God has power like that. Recognize who he is. Recognize that he is with you. And embrace him. Worship him. Joshua 1.9 says this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So brothers and sisters, wherever you are, if you've evacuated to Jackson or Destin or uh, like my family to Birmingham, or if you're sitting right there in Covington or Mandeville, know that God is with you. He's the one with power over all creation. Why are you afraid? Worship him. Realize who he is and fear not. Embrace him. So that's the first conversation in our passage. And then the second one uh, is, uh, is a story you've probably heard many times. This is in verses 28 through 34. Look at what happens here um, in the first part of the story. It says, and when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. So what's going on in this story is, is really interesting. And, and first of all, uh, if you read Matthew and Luke, it's the exact same story, except it says there was one demon-possessed man. And some people will point to that and say, ah, the Bible contradicts itself and it can't be true. Um, but I think what's going on here, and actually we see this happen a couple of times in Matthew, Matthew mentions that there were two demon-possessed men there. And it might be that in Mark and Luke, they're just paying attention to the one that was the most vocal or the most violent, but they never say there wasn't uh, two present. Uh, either way, Matthew tells us there's two here. Um, and the description he gives of them is terrifying. They're dwelling among the graves. I mean, can you imagine walking past a graveyard and two wild men uh, come running out, screaming at you? And it, and it says... Uh, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And a more literal translation of these words is that they were incredibly violent, uh, ridiculously violent, uh, not just violent, but so far uh, beyond what we're used to that nobody would even be able to go close to them. So what happens? Jesus actually has a conversation with the demons uh, that are indwelling those men. Look at what those demons say to him. They cry out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Um, in other words, they recognize who he is and they recognize what his presence means to them. Because you see, uh, we know from Revelation that one day Jesus will throw the devil and all his minions into a lake of fire for eternal judgment. And the demons are surprised. They say, what is Jesus doing here already? Uh, they're terrified and they recognize exactly who he is. In fact, it's interesting that um, they know who he is 
better than almost anyone else in this story. And yet it's not because they have faith in him. It's entirely possible to know who Jesus is and yet not have faith in him. It's not enough to know about him. We must know him and experience him by faith. So verse uh, 29 through 31, look at verse 30. It says they, uh, they begged him to go into the herd of pigs. That's what they say to Jesus. In Mark, we see that there's actually about 2,000 pigs there um, on this herd. And so what does Jesus say? He actually answers them with a simple command, a powerful command. One word. He says, go, or really go out. And immediately they do what he says. They follow his command. You know what we see in this story? is the devil bringing death, separation, destruction, torment. He's tormenting these men. I mean, think of what a cruel thing this is that the demons are making these men do. Live in the place of graves, face to face with dead. It's as if these men are already living uh, among the dead. And Jesus comes along and sets them free. He restores them and heals them. He has power even over the forces of evil in this world, the things seen and the things unseen. We see Jesus' supreme power over Satan. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Think about this. If you know Jesus as your Savior, he lives inside you, and he has all the power in the world over Satan. What hope that gives us when we fight temptation, when we fight against the things that we're tempted to do. And we know that in Revelation, again, we see that Jesus will one day vanquish Satan forever. Think about this powerful person who with a word casts out those demons and says, go. This is the person who wants to save you, to live inside you. He's the one who died for you so that he could conquer sin and death uh, forever and give you eternal life in its place. And so uh, this idea of the powerful wind and the powerful waves, he has power over them, but he also has power over Satan and the dominion of darkness, which is real. But then we come to the last conversation, these last two verses, verses 33 and 34. Look at what these townspeople say to him. Verse 34, behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him, to leave their region. Now, this is really a sad ending to the story because uh, these people see the amazing works of Jesus, but for whatever reason, they don't embrace him. They choose to reject him and send him away. They tell him to leave them. And how does the story end? It's actually, I think this story ends in chapter nine, verse one, where it says this, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. So what we see here is Jesus quietly walking away from the people who rejected him. He has nothing to say to them. What a sad thing. And especially when you consider the first part of this passage is that Jesus is ready and waiting to answer anyone who calls on him and who will rescue them from sin. The picture of him rescuing his disciples from that storm shows his great power and shows, again, as we'll see next week, that he has power to set us free from sin. He wants to cleanse all who trust him, all who embrace him. How do you do that? All you have to do is tell him, Jesus, Lord, we are, I am perishing. Save me. And Jesus says, I'm happy to save you from the sin that would destroy you. 
Why did these people reject him in this town? Uh, we don't really know. It might be because they were mad. They lost their source of, source of livelihood. Um, perhaps they were afraid of what Jesus might do to them. Uh, for whatever reason, they reject him. And Jesus silently gets into the boat and leaves them. Back to those words of the disciples. Lord, save us. We are perishing. I would just encourage you this morning or whenever you're watching this. If you don't know Jesus, recognize that you are perishing. And the only thing that can save you is the son of God who came to earth to die for you, to take the punishment for your sins and who rose from the dead to offer you eternal life. Trust him. He alone can save you. And I would just encourage you, if you haven't done that, do that now. Embrace him. Tell him you trust him alone. You can't save yourself. No one else can save you. Only Jesus can save. Save us, Lord. We are perishing. He is powerful and he is with you in the storm. And so I would encourage you to fear not. Welcome him. Worship him. And walk with him. Will you bow with me in prayer? God, thank you for this chance to hear your word together uh, by video under unusual circumstances. God, I pray your protection over your people. Uh, Lord, use us in the days ahead uh, to share this great message of rescue and hope and the power that you have to set us free from sin. God, we lift these things up to you. Protect our church family as we go from here. In your name we pray. Amen. Now go and make disciples.